You are listening to History Man, a project of ekbarns.com where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are again with Mary Boyd, the historian at the Georgetown County Historical Society Museum. We're going to be talking about Georgetown, South Carolina, and its role in the American Revolution. So welcome, Mary. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I am so glad (laughs) to, to have you. Coming out of Georgetown, South Carolina, is one of the most famous Revolutionary War heroes Uh, And I know that our listeners are going to enjoy this episode uh, because it's talking about the Swamp Fox. The Swamp Fox, whose real name is Francis Marion, uh, was a native of Georgetown. Although he was born in Berkeley County, which is just down near Charleston County, his family moved to Georgetown when he was quite young. And he grew up right here. Before we get started, I want to, again, give a shout-out to Long Gone LLC out of Camden, South Carolina, that does genealogical research and historical tours in Camden, which is the oldest continuous inland city in South Carolina. Uh, We want to give a shout-out to Southern Campaign 1780 and also the York County Museums out of Rock Hill in York, South Carolina. Georgetown is actually predates Camden and mm-hmm. is actually the third oldest in South Carolina. That's correct, 1729. Well, tell us a little bit about um, Francis Marion. Well, Francis Marion uh, walked the streets of Georgetown from a very early age. He thought at the age of 14 he would go to sea and, and have the life of a seaman. So he signed on to a, a schooner leaving our port of Georgetown right here on Winyaw Bay. Uh, spent two weeks in a lifeboat <laughs> and discovered that he did not want to be a seaman after all. So he finally made it back to Georgetown and decided he would take up farming. Well, the Indian Wars uh, around 1759-1760 were... Uh, a problem, a real problem going on. So I'm going to stop you right there. When I think when people think about Indian wars, they're thinking about Westerns, they're talking about the West. We're, we're actually, and we're, you know, if you go back far enough, you think, well, okay, well, you had the Cherokee mm-hmm. up in the mountains of uh, South Carolina and North Carolina. What, what Indians are you talking about here? And we're talking about on the coast here. Mostly the chair. It was part of the Cherokee War. Okay. Uh, and Francis Marion was like many young men who wanted to to uh, defend his farm and save his property from the raids of, of the uh, the Indians that were rampant in the area. So uh, he joined the army and uh, fought against the the Indians. One of the most important things that he learned in observing the Indians was how they uh, conducted their raids. They were very stealthy. They sneaked in, they hid, they waited until just the perfect moment to strike. And that knowledge is what he brought to the Revolutionary War a little bit later in his guerrilla warfare tactics. Now, Francis Marion was involved with the Revolutionary War starting in 1776 with the Battle of Fort Moultrie. Uh, He was present and the British were repelled at that battle, and they did not bother 
us here in South Carolina in great force until they took Charleston on May the 12th, 1780. Now, a week before that fall of Charleston, after about a six-week siege, Francis Marion was visiting in a home at 106 Trad Street in Charleston. Now, the tradition at that time was for the host, and this was an all-gentleman party, the host would lock all the doors and pocket the key, and nobody could leave until all the liquor was consumed. And that was a common practice among gentlemen of that time. Well, Francis Marion was not a drinking man, so he found a way to leave the party. He sneaked up to the second floor and jumped out of one of the windows. Well, he broke his ankle in the fall, so he had to limp away and go recuperate uh, at a friend's plantation outside of Charleston. One week later, was May the 12th, 1780, when Charleston fell to the British and Francis Marion was not there. Because of that, shall we call it a lucky break? Pun intended. Now, his name would have just been uh, on a list of prisoners taken in Charleston had he been present. Instead, he escaped and he continued his guerrilla warfare efforts against the British and became, became one of South Carolina's most revered Revolutionary War heroes. Now, you would not think that Francis Marion would amount to much when you read the descriptions of his physical appearance. Uh, we have no uh, images of him. There are no paintings of Francis Marion done, no drawings. Uh, and the physical descriptions say that he was very short. He was only about five foot two. He had knocked knees, as they say, or was bow-legged. He um, had a large, bulbous nose. His eyes were set too close together. But despite his physical appearance, the man had charisma. His fighters in his ragtag army were the militia, and that means just the local farmers, the doctors, the townspeople, the shop owners. Whenever the call came, they arrived. They were loyal to the point that they could be. They're not in the army. They're not paid. There are no uniforms. There are no regulations. They're just hit and miss, but loyal as anyone could want. Uh, they would need to leave and go back to their planting, go back to see about their families. They were excused or they just said, I got to go, and they left. But when the call came, they answered the call. So do you know anything about his ancestry. Was he not a French Huguenot? Indeed he was. Uh, his father came from an area of France, A-R-I-O-N, Arian. So put an M apostrophe in front of that, and that's how the name Marion came about. So his father came over uh, as a French Huguenot and settled near Monk's Corner, South Carolina, a coloni another colonial town. So what is the background of the French Huguenots? They were oppressed. Finally, the Edict of Nantes was passed, which gave them a good bit of freedom, and they were able to worship and, and go about their lives uh, as everyone else. And then the Edict of Nantes got revoked. So this is coming out of the, uh, the, the upheavals of the Roman Catholic Church it, and the Protestantism and, and those things that were in going France, on. Yes. In France, yes. Well, in France, in Europe generally, right, yes. Right. Uh, so... Not being, or, or suddenly not being welcomed, many of them came to America. Um, a lot of them went to Nova Scotia and large French settlements there, which is why much of Canada is French. Right. 
many of those same people uh, came, to, came to Charleston. Some of them went on to New Orleans and the coast of Louisiana, and they were called Acadians, and that word has gotten corrupted to the word Cajuns, gotcha. which right. is part of that same, same movement that brought the uh, French Huguenots to Georgetown, brought the Cajuns to Louisiana. So he ends up here in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. His plantation, is, is it here? No. His plantation uh, is called Pond Bluff, and it, is, it was back in Berkeley County where he was born. After the Revolutionary War was over, uh, he went back to Pond Bluff, but found it had been burned, was in ruins, but somehow he managed to scrape enough money together to get it going. Uh, he was never paid by the government for his uh, military services. He was a general in the regular army under George Washington. All of his men were not. They were just the local militia. But he never got paid, so uh, he was given a command of one of the small forts near Charleston. Uh, so he did derive a little bit of income from that. He married Mary Vidot, Mary Esther Vidot, and she had a, had a good bit of money. So he was able to revive his plantation uh, and he and Mary Esther, they're in their 50s by now. And uh, they, lived, they lived there uh, happily until he finally died in uh, 1795. Wow. Today, you won't find Pond Bluff. It is under the waters of Lake Marion. Uh, in the mid-20th century, when the Santee Cooper Electric Company was going to build these hydroelectric dams and lakes, uh, the land for... Uh, one of their lakes was where his plantation was located. So today it's underwater. So what are some other stories of Francis Marion here in Georgetown? Well, there are several legends about him. One thing is that he was called the Swamp Fox. Legend has it that uh, British Lieutenant Bannister Tarleton gave him that nickname. But we find that that is not true. According to a couple of books that I've read, the name Swamp Fox may have been mentioned by Bannister Tarleton, but it was not really attributed to Francis Marion until 1829 when uh, South Carolina poet laureate uh, William Gilmore Sims wrote a poem, and that's the first time you'll ever see the Swamp Fox associated in a positive light to Francis Marion. If Bannister Tarleton said it, it was a vile insult. Another legend of Francis Marion is that he walked on water well, maybe. What he did was, knowing the swamps uh, as keenly as he did from his hunting and fishing days as he grew up here in Georgetown, he was able to navigate those without any trouble. He knew where to cross. He knew wh which streams were passable, which were too deep. So, at, And their tidal influenced also. So at low tide, he would build small flat bridges over the areas where it was safe for him to cross. But uh, when the tide came up, they're covered under two or three inches of water and invisible, but known to him. So when the British would chase him back into the swamp area, he'd find those bridges and it looks like he's walking on water. <laughs> That's fascinating. One of the misconceptions in the teaching of the American Revolution in schools is that the Revolutionary War ended with the surrender of Lord Cornwallis at Yorktown on October 19, 1781. Not so. South Carolina was still occupied. 
by the British. South Carolina saw more battles and skirmishes after that date than any other state in the entire war, and it was another 14 months before the British finally evacuated Charleston in December of 1782, and Francis Marion was one of the last standing armies against the British. Not wishing to seek revenge, which was one of, one of his greatest attributes, he did not go into Charleston to see them off. He and his men just quietly disbanded and went home. Almost like uh, Cincinnatus, right? The, the, the Roman general, <laughs> the Roman citizen general who went back to his home right after the war that, yeah. that he fought in. And on uh, Francis Marion's tomb is a statement of his uh, life. It says, he lived without fear and he died without reproach. He had no reason to regret anything he did in the Revolutionary War. He was not vengeful. He did not wreak revenge on the enemies as so many on both sides did. It is interesting. They even, uh, Disney made a, a series. 1959. Uh, right. He did right. indeed. Every Sunday evening uh, was the Walt Disney Show, and he had what I think might have been one of the first miniseries. He had uh, the story of the Swamp Fox, uh, and it ran for several weeks. And um, the actor that played Francis Marion is someone we'll probably all recognize, Leslie Nielsen. Right. Right. A gorgeous young man at the time. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, they used the uh, costumes from Robin Hood <laughs> as the costumes that they wore during that, uh, that series. Possibly. You really didn't need to invent any uniforms. The, the, the soldiers, his, his soldiers, just wore their everyday clothing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and they used, uh, they used marsh tackies. They uh, used marsh tacky horses. To, that was one of Francis Marion's um, uh, strong points. He used the marsh tacky horses because they can navigate the terrain of the swamps very easily. They have very large hoofs. You had said in a previous episode, the Marsh Tackies were some of the original horses brought here by the Spanish in the 1500s. That's right. Uh, and they, they are still an icon in South Carolina. They are small in stature, they able are. to navigate over water where other horses are afraid of water, afraid of jumping water. Yeah. Now they are small horses. They, they're, yeah. not, they're, not, they're not beasts of speed by any stretch of the imagination, but they were certainly good for him in the, in the marshes the and perfect, the swamps perfect animal South Carolina. For, for him to navigate the swamps. It is interesting as you, as you go across the battle sites in the Revolutionary War or any battle site in general, one of the ideas in battle is to, to have the high ground so you have the vista so you can see the enemy coming, that sort of thing. In the geography of Georgetown, there's no high ground. No. <laughs> low. Low country. All of it is low. <laughs> and uh, so it's hard to see your enemy coming or see where they're going to. And uh, it's not like in the westerns where you see dust clouds off in the distance coming your way. Right. Uh, so I would imagine that the, the British who did not know the area, uh, even their loyalists, most of their loyalists were from other places, New York, Pennsylvania, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Uh, they did have loyalists uh, or Tories that they brought up in this section of the country that they relied on, but um, a, a lot of the British force would be bewildered by this uh, geography were. around here. Um, an another interesting story about Francis Marion is called The Dinner. Uh, Francis Marion is out in his encampment in the swamps 
on his uh, place called Snow Island. Uh, he has a few British prisoners there, but he was not one to take prisoners very often. He was m much more humane than that. So there is to be a prisoner exchange, and a British officer is blindfolded and brought into the encampment. So Francis Marion invites him to dinner, and on this crudely made table, standing next to them in the painting, are several sweet potatoes. And there's a fire next to the table, and uh, Francis Marion's manservant, Oscar, Oscar Marion, is there roasting more sweet potatoes. And he said, sir, if you will join us for dinner. And, he, and the British officer said, this is all that you have to eat? He said, yes, and we are grateful for the bounty of the land. So the uh, evening went on, and when the officer returned uh, to his regiment, he said, I'm resigning my commission. I will not fight against people who are that dedicated to their cause. So he was so impressed with Francis Marion and how they were getting along on so very little that he said, you can't beat these people. Right. And it's a precursor to the guerrilla wars, even like in Vietnam. Nicaragua. In Nicaragua. In fact, the people in Nic the Nicaraguans copied Francis Marion's. It, I remember Ronald Reagan saying they have studied Francis Marion's techniques. So it was... Another little tentacle of history reaching out. Fascinating. <laughs> Remind our listeners some of the things that go on around here in Georgetown, South Carolina, especially in regards to your museum here. You have an event that happens every spring. We do. Tell us a little bit about that. It's called Cattails and Cocktails. And we have local hunters and fishermen that prepare dishes of their own local catch. Everything that's prepared is from right here, from the, the bounty of the sea, Fend, fur, and feather, uh, and uh, it, we have a uh, auction and raffle. It's a it's our largest fundraiser. It's a lot of fun. It's always on a Sunday afternoon in the spring, sometimes in late February, sometimes in March. Uh, it's a movable feast. <laughs> it's uh, we we change around a little bit depending on certain other factors. Uh, so it's. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, uh, live music, and um, uh, please go to our website, our Facebook, to uh, see about the details of the upcoming festival. And if they need to reach you by an email, how, how would they reach you? Uh, simply info, I-N-F-O, at GeorgetownCountyMuseum.com. Thank you so much, Mary. Our We've pleasure. enjoyed our time <laughs> with you. Thank you. Good.